0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitian's Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to episode 215 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we will be talking about Becky and Noah's birth story and Becky's postpartum recovery. So if you listened to episode 213 just two weeks ago, you already know that Noah made his debut a little earlier than planned, and you got a couple details from his birth in the last episode, but this is going to be like full throttle. (laughs) Becky had a cathartic experience putting together the entire process, and today we'll really unpack our first episode
2: of the Naturally Nourished podcast on natural birthing. Yes, so much to explore and even some sound bites that I think we'll (laughs) add in for you guys. Um, Before we get into all that, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Fond Bone Broth.
1: Yes, so y'all know by now that we are pretty obsessed with Fond Bone Broth. And it was just this week that I tried one of their seasonal releases, the No Polito. Which, Becky, is amazing. I I need to try it. Yes. What I love about Fond is that they are wellness well-made, and these are like flavor elixirs. I swear, this is the one bone broth company that I'm able to get people to swap out wine for. I I put my hand as a
2: testament. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) So, because it's not just hot meat juice, this is slow-simmered, lovingly tendered, simmer to seal quality bone broth made exclusively in stainless steel using well water and that's tested daily for excellence and then they bottle in their iconic beautiful glass jars they ensure that they work with organic farmers all of the chicken that they source is free range and they incorporate even the chicken backs and feet to get that nice gelatinous collagen for connective tissue support immune boost we know that the bone broth supports that n-acetylcysteine as an expectorant helping with phlegm and mucus really important during cold and flu season and also a facelift for our gut but what takes fond bone broth beyond their quality and what bone broth can do as food as medicine for the body is the flavor profiles so the nopalito and the bokeh Garni are the two seasonal releases the bokeh Garni is like thanksgiving in a jar it has rosemary thyme sage and then the no Polito has no so cactus essentially. Um, also with habanero and cilantro. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like fabulous. Just chop up some avocado, throw in some shredded chicken, and you have a meal in a mug. Uh-huh. Super fantastic. Um, so this is definitely my favorite sipping broth, and the flavor profiles are fantastic. I recommend you try them all, um, including the radish lemon blend and so much more. Go on over to fondbonebroth.com. Use the code AllyMiller. RD at checkout, and you will save on your first order again, fondbonebroth.com use the code Allie Miller RD. Okay.
2: So before we dive in, I'll make sure to link in the show notes, all of our past episodes on pregnancy. So all of Allie's first, second, and third trimesters, as well as her natural C-section keto and pregnancy, um, my first, second, and third now trimester will all be linked in the show notes for reference. And then we also have episode forty-six, which was postpartum nutrition. And I can't believe how long ago episode forty-six feels. You were you were on. Uh huh. I was was one of your first episodes. Early, so who knows what? (laughs) I probably had no context for anything that we were talking about at all. So it's cool to revisit with a totally different perspective. And I'll share, you know, what I'm learning so far. But I'm still really in the thick of it. eight weeks out. So hopefully you'll have some good tidbits for me as well today.
1: We'll see. And I know I'm thinking when I record the postpartum podcast episode, I think Stella was already like 10 months. So also way on the other end of the banks of the river.
2: (laughs) I think you forget like really quickly. (laughs) Oh yeah.
1: I think that that's how we survive Uh as mothers. (laughs) Uh, So yes, let's, let's just kind of unleash the entire process. I want listeners to really have an opportunity to get a deep dive on labor and delivery in the complex process um, because we have like i said not really covered this on the naturally nourished podcast we did an episode that we covered my second trimester speaking of my home birth water birth mm-hmm. plan but that never happened as we know so let's just kind of give everyone the backup we had talked about a little bit of braxton hicks and some kind of false labor episodes that you had started and your travel to san antonio you covered that in the third trimester
2: um, episode let's talk about kind of the week of yeah so that episode really got us ready to install our car seat which wasn't done yet we finished packing the birthing center bags and finished our nursery. Because I was like, I just feel like he could be early. And everyone kept telling me, no, no, first babies are late. Um, But we did have one neighbor that predicted it to the day that he would be born on September 11th. So (laughs) gold star for him. Um, But yeah, that week was just kind of a normal week. And it was Wednesday of that week he was born on on Friday um, that we did Deb's dance class in the morning. And um, I shared my intention of fluidity in that morning class, and it was like a cold, rainy day. Like there had been a dramatic shift in the weather, and I think the barometric pressure actually may have led up to um, my water starting to leak and eventually break. Um, but yeah, that that intention I thought was hilarious, just given the sheer amount of fluids that I was about to experience, both you know, water breaking and blood and. All of the things. <laughs> all of the fluids. Yeah, yep. breast milk and all the things everywhere. Um, but yeah, I was just feeling really uncomfortable in my body and feeling like I needed to move constantly, not really sleeping super well. Um, and so that intention was kind of like go with the flow of whatever's happening and also just getting some movement going. And I think that should have been a sign that things were starting to kick up. Um, so when about that day? you know, like any normal day. I think I was answering client emails in the afternoon, had a chiropractor appointment, my last one before delivery. And um, that may have even set things in motion with just the right pelvic alignment, who knows. Um, But around 11 PM that night, I was working on um, the third trimester episode. And I also had a flourless chocolate cake in the oven because we were supposed to have a little dinner gathering the next night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I put put the cake in. I was like, oh, this is going to be so good. And I'm like checking the oven. And I felt a trickle of fluid down my leg. Um, And I'm like, did I pee myself? Because that does, it happens. (laughs) like Late in pregnancy with, you know, all of that pressure um, definitely can happen where we're getting some leakage that, you know, isn't water breaking. Um, but I went to the bathroom and on my way there kind of leaked some more fluid on the floor. Um, and when I, you know, actually peed and wiped, there was blood considered, you know, the bloody show, which is such a lovely Mm
0: -hmm.
2: (laughs) name. Um, so it was a small amount of fluid, but it was clear and more like viscous kind of goopy versus urine. There was no odor. I made Byron like get down on the floor and (laughs) smell it. And then we also had pH strips because I'm a nerd. Um, but they were inconclusive. I would say like, I put it down and everything I was like, what am I actually looking for? Let me Google it. And everything I was reading was like, could be amniotic fluid, but wasn't confirmed. Um, so we took some pictures, texted them to our doula and then I called her and the thing that I said was, I think I sprung a leak. <laughs> um, so yeah, her, her first words of advice were like, okay, like things are happening. It sounds like, you know, this is about to start. I want you to go to sleep. Um, and I wish that I had, because I haven't had a full night's sleep <laughs> since then (laughs) um i ended up staying up all night finishing baking that cake um and then prepping like all adrenaline right yeah it was pure adrenaline i got in bed and i tried to sleep but i think you know maybe to do yeah tossed and turned for an hour it's like talking byron's ear off and i'm like well one of us should get some sleep so i left him to the bedroom um and started baking finishing that cake i made like bagels paleo bagels. I made chocolate chip cookies. I made labor aid and ras- red raspberry leaf tea. Um, and then I started doing lab reviews for our clients to try to finish up like some loose ends before actually going into labor. Um, so I'd love to see what those lab reviews say. Hopefully they all made sense. I think I was still like in my right mind. Yeah. Um, and also while I was kind of making snacks and just you know, ruminating and getting ready, um, I made a really strong brew of red raspberry leaf tea, which is something, I don't think we really covered this, um, but it's something that I was drinking throughout um, second and third trimester, and uh, I'll speak to it a little bit more in terms of recipe, um, but I drank a, a quadruple brew of that that's supposed to be like Labor Day tea and supposed to get contractions moving um and, and otherwise that, it's for uterine tone right yep. they'll say mm. Yep. um and yeah it's not going to like launch you into labor even if you were to do a strong brew um but if you're already kind of on that train it'll just kind of get things going um and I still really wasn't having any steady contractions at all like some Braxton Hicks on and off um and then I had an episode of vomiting, which was surprising. I was like in the kitchen drinking this stuff. I'm like, okay, where's
1: Noah's making his
2: debut? (laughs) (laughs) Um, An episode of vomiting and then a lot of loose stool, um, like running to the bathroom throughout that evening, or I guess it was early, early morning by then.
1: Yeah, and and of course the stool stuff we've talked about in Constructs of Menstrual Cycle, Mm You know, there's such a close connection of the colon and the uterus that when there's more prostaglandins and cytokines and these inflammatory compounds to create the process of contractions, that's going to hit the gut often as well. So
2: finally around like 5.30 a.m., I was able to get some sleep and I slept from like 5.30 to 8.00 um, woke up around eight and started texting with the doula to try and figure out how to get things moving. Cause really nothing had happened while I was sleeping. Um, a little bit more like fluid, not even gushes, just like a slow leak. Um, and at this point I was starting to get concerned about like, okay, when do I actually tell the midwife that, you know i've had some fluid um, and i didn't want to call it my water breaking because i know that at that time stamp they set the clock for 24 hours um, to be able to deliver in the birthing center otherwise you're automatically going to the hospital for an induction and probably seeing that whole cascade of interventions happening um, so we talked about just um, initially using some clary sage essential oil which can help to Um, bring about and strengthen contractions, and also using some of the labor acupressure points. Um, So I think there's points in the ankles, feet, and hands that she had me doing. And it really wasn't doing a whole heck of a lot. Um, And then I ended up going for a walk and starting to use my breast pump, um, which also that time didn't do a whole lot, but I at least had it set up for later when I would use it. Yes.
1: Yes. And the connection of breast pump, let's just talk about that, Becky. So uh, what's the hormone mechanism that we're looking to get going there?
2: Uh, you're looking for oxytocin from the nipple stimulation. And oxytocin is the hormone we'll talk about a little bit, like the hormone cascades, but it's really what um, gets labor going, the whole cascade.
1: Right, so pitocin, mm-hmm. which is given in you know, your more... Uh, I want to say westernized births, I guess, right? Allopathic, if you will, mm-hmm. interventions. Pitocin is synthetic oxytocin,
2: yep. essentially. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that, didn't really do a whole heck of a lot. And that day actually was to be my midwife appointment anyway at 3 p.m. So I was like, let me just go in. Um, I think I, I called ahead of time and just let them know what was going on. And they were like, you know, if, if nothing's happening, you don't have a fever. Let's just, you know, keep your appointment as it is. Um, and by the time I got there, still I wasn't having any regular or strong contractions. But when the midwife checked me with the speculum, um, there was a huge gush of water. And she was like, oh, yeah, your water's broken and it's been broken. Um, she noted that I was only dilated one centimeter, which I was really... Scared and frustrated about because I was like, Oh, like this is probably even you know happening all day. It must be at least like two or three because I hear women all the time walking around three centimeters dilated for months. Um, But I was 90% effaced, which means the cervix has softened and it needs to soften before it dilates. So that was really positive. Um, But baby was at negative three station, which means he's still really high up, not engaged in the pelvis. So it goes from negative three to negative two, negative one, zero would be, he's kind of neutral in the pelvis and then plus one plus two plus three is basically crowning. Um, so they put me on a 24 hour time clock from um, the time that I said that my first gush of fluid happened, and I had to, you know, kind of get creative with the midwife and be like, "Well, I'm not sure if it was 12 a.m. or it could have been 3 a.m." And she was like, "We'll put 3 a.m." So we had a mutual understanding that, you know, this extra couple of hours wasn't going to hurt anything. Um, and at that time, we did a non-stress test, which is basically just getting hooked up to the monitor, monitoring um, if you're having, you know, any contractions and looking at baby's heart rate to make Nuclear sure.
1: Nuclear stress test or non-stress. Test non-stress or test. Non-stress. Yeah.
2: Okay. I think okay. non-stress that he's not stressed. Okay. Um, and then um, they did recommend. Thinking about uh, doing a castor oil smoothie, which came into play later that evening.
1: Because what was the negotiation? You had to be seven centimeters mm-hmm. six. by three AM. Okay, yep, okay.
2: six centimeters, which is considered to be active labor. Um, so it had to be that far dilated, and and you know, it's like oh my gosh, I've only got twelve hours to like get this thing going. Um, so that was all the. <laughs> The information I needed to, you know, pull out all the stops. So I think while I was in the office, I texted our friend Kaz and I was like, hey, remember that labor acupuncture treatment you were going to do? Can you come to my house at 5 p.m.? So she came over. um, We did acupuncture and also um, moxibustion, which I can't really speak to any mechanism per se there. But, um, I mean, people in kind of that acupuncture Chinese traditional medicine world swear by it for flipping a breech baby and also for helping to induce labor. So they're basically burning like a, kind of looks like an incense stick Mm -hmm. um, around your toes. She also did it on my back and she was saying, you know, we have to remove the dampness, which thinking again about like water breaking and all of the fluid, you have to remove the dampness and, and create some warmth, some heat to draw baby down. And literally as she was doing this treatment, I could feel him starting to move downward, which was really cool. Yeah.
1: And and I think that it's just all in the principle with acupuncture, of moving chi, right? It's yep. just the same concept of like life force energy and the heat brings likeness or something. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I cannot speak super intelligently. All I know is um, it's magic. <laughs> it worked. So <laughs> around um, 6 p.m. after that, um, Cass had recommended that I put a... a Heating pad on my back, and that Byron keep kind of massaging a couple of points on my inner ankles and my feet. Um, and I felt this pop and it almost it sounded like when your back or neck kind of self-adjust, just kind of a um, and it was actually my water like really breaking. Um, so like a big gush on the bed and in the pants I was wearing. Um, and I stood up to try to make it to the bathroom, and it was just like like you see in the movies, like I had to go and run and get beach towels. And you know, who knows my rug probably will never be the same. <laughs> um,
1: and so that's when like, okay, this is on. Yeah. We're yeah. doing
2: it. It's like, okay. Cause I was starting to get like a little defeated after that appointment being one centimeter dilated. And I was like, I don't know, but my doula, I was texting with her and she's like, you're 90% effaced. You're having this baby. Like that's what you need. Um, We just got to move him down and then that will help to start the dilation. So it's really cool, you know, how mama and baby work together, both the contractions bringing baby down, but also baby's movement helping to dilate you. Um, And so the doula had me do um, curb walking, which is basically uh, going outside, you know, to a block that has a curb, um, and you're putting one foot up on the curb. So kind of stepping up, stepping down. You can also do it if you have a staircase, yep. mm-hmm. um, which we don't work, uh, you know, one level house. Um, and so I was walking up and down. People probably thought I was nuts this whole day because I was out there doing all kinds of things. Uh, but we did the curb walking to really help with shifting baby into a favorable p- position, uh, in the pelvis, and I started to actually have real contractions. They weren't like super painful yet, um, but they would stop me in my tracks and I would kind of lean forward on Byron and um, not really vocalizing yet, just doing some deep breathing, but I'm sure I looked totally wacky out there.
1: (laughs) And then your doula came on
2: shortly, around 8.30 you have
1: in your notes. And what did you start doing then?
2: Um, So yeah, Jess came over and she did, She had me do the mile circuit, which walking and movement is actually part of that circuit. So it's a a three-part circuit of belly sifting where you're kind of doing like an extended child's pose um, with your arms out. I guess it's more like puppy pose with your booty in the air. Um, And she had a a rebozo and was sifting the belly kind of back and forth, um, trying to get baby into that LOA favorable birth position. Um, and then that was probably, I think we did like 20 or 30, it might be 30 minutes per <laughs> position, which to me seemed like a long time. Cause I was starting to have contractions would have to pause her. Um, and then we did side lying release, which, um, we had to like rig up my couch um, cause our bed was too soft. And that's just a side lying pose, um, where you have one leg kind of over the other, like a right, hooked a, a, over, yeah, hooked over, mm-hmm. um, and she was kind of helping to and the support way to fratty, my other leg, right? Yeah, to kind of bring it down. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then we continued doing walking. So I was just like pacing laps around our little house, um, and at that time contractions were like three to four minutes apart. Um, so we were kind of watching for those patterns, you know any mama who's, um, gone into labor or, or, um, preparing for labor has heard of like the 4-1-1 pattern, which you're looking for contractions that are four minutes apart, one minute in length lasting for an hour. Um, and I don't know honestly when that happened. Cause it seemed like I went zero to 60 pretty soon thereafter. Um, but in Austin, they actually kept saying 5-1-2. So five minutes, one, uh, five minutes apart one minute in length two hours apart so either of those systems
0: okay. uh, but
2: we weren't getting like the strong regular contractions yet it was kind of like they'd come on and then stop for you know six minutes or something so we weren't quite getting that pattern
1: and at this time uh the only thing that the Miller family did to contribute before Stella went to bed <laughs> so around like probably seven forty-five, we held a drum circle oh here <laughs> and and uh at that time again we were still calling Noah Bryson um which was a hybrid of Brady and Bison because um, Byron always was saying he wanted to name him Bison (laughs) and the due date was Brady's birthday so there was that hybrid name we were using and it was like let's go Bryson come on Bryson pounding the the, um, tambourine and the drums and such Um, because we knew like we were like okay like things got to pick up and it's funny I remember talking to Byron about You know all of this and him saying because we were texting up until i think like 11 p.m Mm -hmm. probably maybe midnight and we'll get to those hours shortly um and at first byron was like oh this is gonna be like such a cool like (laughs) spiritual connective thing (laughs) becky's like grunting and doing these things and then he said oh and then all of a sudden we'll get there in a moment um i realized that this was not going to be cool and chill at all
2: (laughs) Yeah. The home labor environment was like kind of what I had been picturing, um, which was, you know, we had essential oils going, we had the lights really low. Um, you know, I kept calling my bedroom like the labor cave. And I've heard a lot of women too, like wanting to be, you know, in a bathroom or a small enclosed dark space. And if we think about the animal world, you know, it's the same, mm-hmm. same thing. Um, so we had like good music going. and <coughs> I think it was, bless you. Thank um, you. I think it was Deb's birth playlist for me literally on loop for like all of those hours oh I think we can link yeah. it too it's a Spotify yeah. playlist yeah, yeah. that's a great
1: idea the Kenny Loggins birth energy oh the and be- it's like I am opening yeah. <laughs> I am opening.
2: <laughs> uh huh. That was playing it was in all the sounding car up and through this yeah. time. That was playing in the car when I didn't want to be opening and didn't want to have a baby in the car. But it was it was playing at home and totally working its magic. Um,
1: and this whole time, now you hadn't eaten all day. Cause uh-uh. you had the vomiting at was that like what 5 a.m. before you fell asleep? Yeah. You fell asleep, woke up, and then had been doing all these things. Went to your appointment, but no
2: intake of any sort. I had coconut water. Like I was being really mindful of hydration. Um, Hey, Noah, um, super mindful of hydration and I ate like one of the cookies that I had baked, um, but really hadn't had anything substantial other than that the whole day. I just kind of forgot about food. And so my duel is like, um, you need to eat something right now. And I'm like, absolutely nothing sounds good. I'm so nauseous. Um, so Byron made me a smoothie and I had all this frozen pineapple in the freezer because, I had been planning to use that um, as kind of part of my natural induction technique, just kind of leading up to my due date, um, because that bromelain in the pineapple can help to ripen the cervix.
1: Yes, I know that was like my entire last week, all uh-huh. all of week forty. So much pineapple. <laughs> yep.
2: Bonus <laughs> points if you put like um, chili powder or that tahini yes. on it for yes. spicy
1: or sliced jalapenos. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Yep. Yes. And so
1: you're drinking the pineapple smoothie. No, is that the one, this is before you did the castor yeah, oil. Yeah, this is the okay, first a normal
2: She's like, you need to get something in your stomach. And in retrospect, probably getting like liquid and then more liquid. Maybe that wasn't the best idea. Just kind of like sloshing around in mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. Uh, with really nothing to soak it up. Maybe like jerky earlier yep. in the day would have been. A yeah, yeah. Yep. I just I forgot, and I—I I mean, I do that when I'm under stress, and obviously, yeah. you know, there's a lot of body changes going on. I just forgot to eat. Um, So from there, uh, I started using the breast pump again and Jess got me on an exercise ball. Um, So then after I got the smoothie down around um, 10 p.m., started doing the breast pump again because contractions had kind of, they were getting intense, but they were less regular. I think if I'm remembering properly, like they were going to five to six and then two to three. Um, so we just wanted to get a rhythm going. Um, uh, but I did at that point need to start using this tens unit, which is basically like, um, if you've ever done the E-stim at a chiropractor, those little pads you put on your back and they provide some, some stimulation. Um, cause I was having some back labor and, and pain and kind of cramping in my low back and the contractions were getting intense. That was a little thing I hung around my neck. And then I had the t- the electrodes kind of on my low back, and I could um, press it to go up during the contractions. So I think it's just supposed to kind of provide a little counter, um, give you something active that you can actually do, and maybe distract you. Honestly,
1: and that's something that your
2: doula had. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Um, but I have friends actually who've had you know a couple babies at home, and they have their own. I think they're relatively inexpensive.
1: Uh I know I have clients with
2: MS that use them. So different
1: neurological and pain management. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, And so after that smoothie and um, after a pretty intense contraction, I'm sitting there with the breast pump on and I'm like, I'm going to throw up. Um, And I hadn't even done the castor oil yet. So Byron quickly like rigged a bag for me um, and I threw up. And my doula, I remember her saying, every time you vomit, you dilate an inch. So I'm like, okay, we're at two inches at least now. (laughs) Um, Centimeters. Oh my God. That would be quite. Oh my God. (laughs) uh yep I wrote down inch obviously I meant centimeters <laughs> that would be a lot 10 uh t- getting to 10 inches is the goal no way oh my god can you imagine fall right can you imagine, right out. Can you imagine? <laughs> um so from there um you know there was kind of a, a haze of like we went outside at some point more vomiting outside in my neighborhood um Byron was giving me counter pressure during my contractions so it would come to my back and kind of press down and I wanted to be kind of leaning over against something so I'd lean against a tree or a wall or a car like or, the, hip, the hip presses yep, or yep. Yep. yeah I doing hip presses and then also pressing down on the back but yeah pressing on the hips from the outside is supposed to kind of widen the pelvis and make a little bit more space for baby um, and then I did the castor oil and that kind of took things next level. Um, so this is kind of a, an old midwives I think um, you know remedy for for getting labor started and really kicking things into high gear And you know the intention here is that castor oil is basically going to send you into, um, a state of just everything cramping, right? So GI cramping, you're going to see, you know, likely vomiting and diarrhea. Um, I think I had like barely anything left at that point to, vomit, but I made this smoothie, um, with two ounces of castor oil, which is the magic amount. Um, and I used pineapple again, so I can never look at pineapple, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, coconut milk, coconut water, some almond butter to kind of give some fat and try to you know keep that smoothie down. And then my doula had recommended doing lemongrass essential oil, which I don't usually do essential oils internally, um, but she said that that would help with the nausea. I just used like a couple drops, so my vomit tasted like lemongrass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went back to pumping like 12.30 a.m. by this time, and uh, my doula's notes just have like <laughs> major vomit as the note of what happened but i really feel like that's the time that things picked up and and there was like no stopping this train so like 12:45, we were two to three minutes apart lasting you know a minute plus um sometimes upwards of 70 to 80 seconds even um, and my doula was starting to get worried about dehydration um so she was like, oh, I think we should consider, you know, getting you an IV. You can still do that at the birthing center. Um, You can get it and then come off of it to be mobile, but I'm really worried that you're getting dehydrated and that's actually going to slow down your contractions. And, you know, we actually never got to that conversation because by the time I got to the birthing center, things just like took over and we're going a million miles an hour. Um, But I also noted this as as a point where I was kind of, you know, before this mentally – I was trying to compose myself between every single contraction. So I would like make a joke or let Byron know I was okay. Or my cat and dog were right there. So I'd like pet the dog and be like, I'm okay, buddy. And I do have this tendency to like, let everyone know I'm okay. um, Or not be good at, you know, showing vulnerability or pain in front of other people. And I mentally, I was in the middle of a story. I was talking to Jess about the Kenny Loggins song. I was like, have you ever heard this? It's hilarious. And I stopped my story and had a contraction. And then I look up, I'm like, I'm going to stop talking now because I think it's slowing things down and I'm just going to be in this. And she's like, good. I was wondering when that was going to happen. So from there, you know, I think 1 a.m. We started making plans to go to the birthing center and Jess and Byron were both playing phone tag with the midwife. Um, So it went so zero to 60 that I was like, um, are we going to get there in time because the midwife had gone home and taken a nap because she didn't think we'd be there until you know that 3 a.m timestamp. stamp um so we get the car all packed um and in the car yeah that Kenny Loggins I am opening up came on and I was like screaming into a pillow in the back seat uh, with my barf bag and um told Byron to turn it off and just like play bad rap music like Post Malone or something that he likes <laughs> And had him ask me like really dumb questions. He probably couldn't think of anything to ask me and like just ask me anything. And he's like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? Just to distract me mm-hmm. because I was like, I think I want to like start pushing soon mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't want to have a baby in the car. Um, so we got a, a toll. <laughs> Um, tag. I guess we went through a toll road that we don't have a sticker for or whatever. We got a ticket and I think he was going like 80 to 90 miles an hour all the way there. Um, But luckily it was only 15 minutes away. Um, So when we got there like 145, my contractions were really intense and they were at that two to three minutes apart and one minute. So I kind of just jumped that 4-1-1 thing altogether. Um, And when the midwife, checked me it took some doing to like get me up into the building and then there was a clinic where I had been going for my appointments and I hadn't actually seen the birthing center but it's in the same building um so we went to the clinic first and she got me on the table checked me and I was seven centimeters so you know knowing that I'm an overachiever and the goal was for six (laughs) um I had done it and I was, you know, I was super motivated at that point that I could um, deliver at the birthing center and would be admitted. Um, And things had picked up so much, like my pants and underwear were on the floor, like a bloody, disgusting mess. And I couldn't even put them back on. Um, And she's like, no one else is here. It doesn't matter. I'm like, okay, I'm pantsless. There goes like the outfit I thought I was going to be um, laboring <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had like three different outfits. I'm like, well, it could get messy. So I'll have like a change of clothes and then I'll have like a sports bra. I'm like, I don't care right. what I'm wearing. Um, and so they hooked me up on the monitor um, to monitor through three contractions just to make sure baby was still hanging in and heart rate was good. Um, that felt like forever. But by 2.15, I was admitted.
1: And I remember you saying, like, they were like, oh, how's this room? How's this uh-huh. room? And you're like, which is the room that I can push the baby yeah, out in? It's you know, the, <laughs> the were, room I yeah, want.
2: There were three rooms. They're all empty. And I'm like, I've never seen them. I don't know. The first one, the one I can have a baby in. And right. Byron, Byron goes and checks them all. He's like, this is the biggest one. Take this one. I'm like, okay, <laughs> good good call. But, like, at that point, didn't matter. Like, we walked through a supply closet. And I was like, I can have the baby here. It's exactly <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Um, so they had already, I guess, been um, filling up the birthing tubs. They had my birth plan on file, um, and that was one thing. As soon as I got in the room, I was like, Byron, here's the birth plan. Here's the playlist, and that was all I could say. I couldn't tell him what any of the other stuff I had in my suitcase and all of my bags that never got opened was. Um, it's like, here's this, here's that, Oh, and I told him I wanted um, the labor aid that I had made, which was – um, lemon honey and salt basically like a natural electrolyte, electrolyte. support yeah. um, so got into the tub and I was first on all fours and they were trying to explain to me that I had to be either all the way in the tub or all the way out mm-hmm. that I wasn't allowed to start pushing um, and I wasn't quite there yet anyway but I wasn't allowed to start pushing if I was halfway in halfway out of the water and I was like so annoyed and beyond comprehension at that point. I that's think that's
1: the idea of like, obviously if baby took its first breath and sucked in mm-hmm. water, the idea of, with a water birth is that the baby has to be completely submerged underwater so that they don't take that inhalation, mm-hmm. um, until they're brought out of the water. So if there was some partial, yep. you know, yep. I can and see that being a risk factor of totally. respiratory.
2: Yep. And I wasn't totally convinced I wanted a water birth either. I just knew I wanted to labor in the tub and I probably hadn't even gotten to that point mentally like where I was going to be um, actually pushing the baby out because I was early. Um, and, you know, would have been preparing over those next 10 days. Um, but by like 2.55 per the notes of the birthing center, I was feeling like a lot of rectal pressure, feeling like I wanted to push. Um and that was something that was in my plan that I wanted to start pushing spontaneously. So be allowed to drive that versus being checked for dilation and then told when to push. Um so I don't even know if I was fully dilated. Which is what? How far? Nine? Ten. Ten, okay. The, um, nine and a half, ten, they would've okay. let you start pushing. But they didn't they didn't check me, so I don't know if I was fully dilated. Um their notes say I spontaneously started pushing. Cause again, like all of this is <laughs> based on other people's records at this point. Um, I have, you know, very distinct memories and then there's so much stuff that's such a blur. So I did, um, advocate for getting all of the birth records, both from my doula and the handwritten stuff that the midwives and the nurses took on me, um, so that I could put together a little bit of a, a synopsis. Um, so <laughs> during pushing. Um, and I think we'll play a little, um, clip in a moment here of, of my doula doing some coaching. But the thing that struck me the most is, you know, all the reading that I was doing and all of the videos I was watching, something people kept saying was you don't really like know how to push. Like your vagina has, you know, you can do Kegel exercises and kind of that squeeze, but it's not necessarily like a, a, pushing motion. So you need to actually think through as if you're having a bowel movement and push into your butt. And hearing that come out of both the doula's mouth and the midwife, and then the nurse was saying, I'm like, what do you mean push into your butt? Um, And it was, it was like this hard thing for me to conceptualize, but at some point it felt like my body just kind of like totally took over. Um, And the other thing they kept saying um, was hold the baby down. So not only are you pushing with, with, each contraction, but you're actually trying to hold the baby there through, you know, that break until the next contraction. Otherwise babies kind of bobbing up and down. And some of that's normal and natural and, and needs to happen. Cause they'll come up kind of twist reposition. Um, but the intention of that pushing is also to hold your baby down. So I heard that like 30 times throughout labor hold the baby down.
1: It seems like Byron's biggest memory. Yeah. Hold the baby down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, I think that also goes in alignment. We'll play in the clip where they, you know, they, they I've heard so many times about not getting too breathy, mm-hmm. you know, and like that, like when the shift from the more breathy, contractions into the more guttural uh, mm-hmm. you're thinking like of, and they even say as we'll play in the clip to not even make any sounds yeah. all of that sound energy goes to hold the baby down
2: that internal depth Yep. Yeah. and I was like I don't know how to do that like I have no idea and as I was trying to like hold the breath in I felt like my eyes were gonna explode I'm like, oh my god I'm gonna have you know like all kinds of broken blood vessels. I bred, <laughs> blood vessels broken around my eyes I didn't actually uh, maybe a couple, but it wasn't too bad. Let's play the clip. Yeah.
0: Okay, you want me to be a little bit bossy with the push yeah. All right, we're gonna do this. We're gonna grab back here. You're gonna breathe in, really big breath, big breath in. You're gonna let the contraction build a little bit. Once you start feeling it, big breath in. You're not gonna push it out. You're not gonna let it out of your nose. You're not gonna let it out of your mouth. You're gonna hold it and you're gonna bear down. You're gonna crunch around your baby. Into your chest just like you've been doing. And you're gonna push. You're not letting the air out of your mouth, you're not letting sound out of your nose or mouth. Okay? Everything's down and up. You've got this. You've got it. Okay? You're totally able to do this. You are so strong. You've done all of this. Big breath in. When you're ready. Keep all the sound in your mouth. Keep all the sound. Push, push, push. Everything down and out of your butt. There you go. Just like that. Keep pushing, keep pushing. There you go. Take breath. Keep your
2: breath in. Don't let it go. Yeah, so you can hear the coaching that I was getting. And by this point in time, I was getting pretty exhausted. And that's also a, a normal part. I don't think I've you know, said this yet, but a normal part of that transition or transitional labor, some people will call it, where basically your body just takes over and you're not rational anymore. Things you say don't make sense. And you're actually, sometimes people will literally fall asleep in between contractions, even though you only have like a minute to two minutes of rest. Um, I felt like I was almost, passing out at that point. And I, Byron was really great and really vigilant. He had, I think in his hands, um, two cups. One was just, you know, my water with a straw. And then the other one was that labor aid I had made. And I was taking sips of that. Um, in between contractions just to try to stay hydrated and get a little bit of of glucose intake at that point. Um, And I also ended up doing a honey stick, um, which my doula had. And I was like, oh, I won't need those because, you know, I don't eat (laughs) naked carbs. Ha ha ha. Um, I won't, I won't need honey sticks or I'll have, you know, a nut butter pack with it. And I had packed like all of these, you know, glorious snacks that I thought I'd be eating. And the only thing that I actually took in the entire time was liquid and two honey sticks. Um, so that seemed to do the trick of just giving me that like quick little burst of, of energy that I needed. And I would liken all of this to, I used to run marathons and, and half marathons. And a lot of this, um, is like that last like three miles where you haven't quite gotten the, um, you know, runner's high of like, there's the finish line yet. And you're like, I can't do this. Um, so I was saying things like, I can't do this, the wall. Yes. That's what I was looking for. Um, so you hit a wall when you're in transition and that's a good sign. Again, like all these weird things and, you know, things that, shouldn't be happening or whatever you want to label them um like the vomiting and pooping and, and all of this they're like oh that's another good sign once you say you can't do this that means there's no going back and baby is close um so I kept saying I can't do this I just want my baby and mentally I didn't, I never said it out loud um but mentally I was like could I get an epidural what if they just cut the baby out of me? What's the hospital transfer going to look like? Like I was having all of this and I was like, what if they just did an episiotomy and like pull the baby out? Like any way to get this baby out was going through my head, but I never vocalized it. Cause I was like, I know that's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like they're not going to transfer me in a wheelchair with, you know, a baby half out of me, um, which he, he hadn't even actually crowned yet. Um, which I think was also Feeling a little defeating because I was in the tub. The midwife had a mirror and a flashlight. And so I was like, oh, that means like we're looking for something. And she kept shining the flashlight. Being like, no head yet, but I can see that we're close. And I just kept, you know, waiting to hear that he was finally crowning. Um, and during this time, I did start to call in um, some mantra. And the doula and midwife were both, you know, saying to me, because they had read in, it wasn't in my birth plan, but it was in another document that they had me provide. Um, just a mantra of my body is meant to do this. And and um, also, I remember like kind of calling in, you know, all of the women who've done this before me and something that Deb said, I couldn't even tell you what it was, but something she said in that class, like resonated. And I was calling on all the angels of the women who've birthed before ancestors. Yes. And
1: well, Deb had that scenario. I'm not sure if we've shared this on the podcast. Yeah. 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 Um, she did a dance class for Becky, um, a birth dance class in July around the time of her shower and um we did like a birth bead ceremony and all these things um and uh she told a story about her labor and how you know she always would think of like riding the waves like cresting the waves like a boat you know going over and she said that when she was in her transition part of her labor and was like calling on her ancestors and saying she couldn't do it that her grandma that she used to play with in the beaches of texas came to her in a vision and was like hey do you remember what we did with the big waves? We wouldn't try to jump over them. We would hold our breath and we'd go under them. And that kind of has that same visual of like, hold the baby down, mm-hmm. go under the waves, like deeper internal versus those like, cusping, mm-hmm. uh, short, like over the top. Um, and I think that was a really strong visual. I don't know if that played a role in your birth story, but I'm just saying I remember her telling that and for a life thing, I was like, right. whoa. right? That has a lot to do with the perspective of how I challenge opposition in general. Yeah. yeah that was under the waves. In my
2: head of things I wanted to say to myself. And I feel like I was being like pummeled by the waves. And yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. at some point kind of recognizing that I was running from the contractions or, or trying to escape the pain versus working through it. So I did start to, you know, work in my mental space of like, no, you just need to get through it and get to the next one. And the doula kept saying, Blow that contraction out, like just let it go, because you're about to have another one, and you can't be caught up on on the one before. So can't in that push sense, through all of them, it's, right? It's like a wave. Um.
1: And then that's when the midwife kind of got a little bit, uh, not confrontational, but yeah. but kind of, kind of confronted a little bit, yeah. I guess, fear, right? Or yeah. hold back.
2: Yeah. She's like, what? Something's holding you back. And I'm like, oh, I've read this in the Ina May Gaskin. Like, you know, and some women will reveal some deep, dark secret. Like, oh, I was cheating on my husband and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't have anything like that. Like, what is she getting at? What is she getting at? What she want me to say? Um, and what came to me was just that... Um, you know, first I was like, oh, just the pain. And then I was like, no, it's actually like being in pain and being vulnerable in front of you guys. And she's like, okay, now let that go. Because like, you know, you just pooped in this bathtub. So it's about to get more raw and yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. So I think just saying that, verbalizing it, vocalizing it um, was enough to, and then, you know, we started changing positions. So enough to get things rocking again. Um, and I've heard that from a lot of women that the tub labor too can slow things down because you're relaxing, it's it's warm and it can slow down your contractions. So they were kind of coaching me like, you might want to consider a birthing stool. You might want to think about getting up and and you know uh, this really kind way of uh, suggesting things versus telling me what to do, which, I appreciate it and I was like yeah I might want to do that
1: <laughs> um, and I remember I think in the clip right before we played it um, your duo was like okay so do you want me to get pushy with yeah. you or, like she said something like you want me to take the reins and telling you when to push mm-hmm. or something like that because it, it seems like they were really good at collaborating with you like when you wanted right. guidance right. because sometimes you need that too and you're yeah. like it's just left to your own demise <laughs> this baby's just staying in here forever
2: yeah yep yeah. and at that point that's what I needed so I was like yes please like I need like a count coach I need someone push. in mm-hmm. my face and and Byron recognized that too and started to do this thing where he would count it was like an arbitrary count of like eight or twelve or whatever but he would make me count while I was pushing so I would have a more sustained push And then count as I was inhaling so I would actually breathe versus like gasping for air.
1: And so you got out of the tub. You had that short interim on the toilet, (laughs) but you were not feeling that. But they could definitely tell they wanted you to sit.
2: They wanted me to sit um, upright. and, And part of that is just literally working with gravity. But also, I don't think I had peed since I got there. Um, so they wanted me to try to pee because sometimes having a full bladder Mm -hmm. can hold things up as well. And I don't actually think that I was able to even pass any urine. I, I couldn't tell you, but I remember being on the toilet and they had me straddle it backwards. So Mm -hmm. like facing the toilet tank and they're like, some women have their babies in this position. Some women love the toilet. And I'm like, I knew I wasn't going to be one of them. I'm not one of them. And I am not having my baby on this toilet. So can I get up now? So in my mind, it was like a minute. I don't know how long I was actually <laughs> there. Um, but even just walking there, I, then I got to the bed and and changed things up. Did some side laying um, with a peanut ball, which I don't know if you've ever seen. Looks like a number of eight. Looks kind like. Of, yeah. yeah, like a number eight or a peanut. And you put it between your legs um, and squeeze on it in between or during a contraction? I don't even remember. Um, I think it would make more sense uh, while you're pushing during a, a contraction, but I could be wrong. But I know I was using it, and I know that's also a tool. Um, one of my clients who's had you know three babies naturally was like, use the peanut ball. It really helps. That's going to get you like... An extra two three centimeters dilation if you need it
1: that makes sense because when you're pushing in your thighs which are such large Mm -hmm. muscle groups you're activating that lower you know pelvic floor that makes sense yeah
2: um and so yeah from from there i don't know how long i was we could count it back but i was on the bed probably half an hour in sideline and then we still hadn't seen baby crowning but byron told me he kept saying I can see your vagina pulsating, um, which if Delightful. you're listening to this episode with kids, we should have put a, <laughs> a little, a, body part. a Warner. Exactly. No swears. Um, it's just no swears, but just intensity. Um, but you could kind of see like baby starting to come and then kind of pulling back between pushes and baby starting to come and pulling back. Um, so they had me move to this birthing stool, which is basically like A chair without a seat, um, more like a little toilet seat kind of thing on the floor. Uh, And
1: some will use just like a yoga Mm -hmm. headstand, shoulder stand thing. Yeah, yeah. same thing.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. Or um, I've seen in in kind of more um, progressive hospitals, even like bars and kind of things like that on the bed. Um, Actually, all hospital beds have bars that you can (laughs) use, um, but they don't always let you do it. Um, And some have intentional, like birthing bar. Setup. So, birthing stool, you're kind of in this squatting, supported position. Um, and I was really resisting this at first because I, for some reason, just had in my head I didn't want to be upright. I thought like all fours or kind of leaning over was working better. Um, but the nurse at this point was like moving lower and lower every time she used the Doppler. So, I knew that meant that we were close. Like, she was way, way down in my pelvis. Um, whereas prior she had been like way up in, in more of the abdomen, like around the belly button area, looking for a baby's heart rate. Um, and so by five fifteen, um, that's, I was crowning and, and they had me actually like reach down and feel for his head. I could also see it with the mirror, but that was like, okay, we can do this. Like you're so close. Um, and I definitely experienced what they call the ring of fire. Um, so that is just this really intense kind of like burning, stretching sensation. Like it felt like I thought I was going to need tearing so stitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought I was going to have a third degree tear and, uh, I didn't, but it, it felt like, you know, pushing forever. And I think the nurse at that point, I know she had olive oil in her hand. I think she did some perineal massage, but I couldn't tell you a hundred percent what was happening. Um, so, you know, I was pushing on the stool and then at 5 39 AM, um, Noah was born. So his head came out first, obviously, um, with one big push. And then, you know, the whole rest of the body followed very, very quickly. It just kind of like shoots out once you get over that, um, you know, the, the circumference of the head or the largest part of the head. Um, he did have his little umbilical cord wrapped just super loosely. I, I went back to the notes to confirm cause I remembered seeing it, but Byron was like, I don't know. I don't remember. And no one said anything about it. So I was like, it must be no big deal. Um, but they just unwrapped it, put him to my chest and, um, we'll play another clip where you can hear me talking about. Um, how he has an egg head, so his head, you know, obviously from that process and and you know from that slow crowning too is vaginal baby's canal massage. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They get kind of drawn out drawn out, and they're meant to do that. But his snapped back in like two hours. It it looked normal, um, and then you can hear in the background um, the Van Morrison song Crazy Love is playing, which. Is special, you know, on its own. And then, what's so cool is that Stella was also born to a Van Morrison song. So I just True. love that for them, that connection.
1: And as we revisited your birth <laughs> sound bites, because we've, we've, don't worry, we're only playing two here. Um, also, you had a Bob Dylan ranty song. Um, during it sounds like one of your most traumatic parts of your birth and that was the part of my birth when everyone was like okay okay and I remember being like oh my gosh like I, I think I'm dying <laughs> Bob Dylan was playing and then Van Morrison came on I was like oh, uh huh okay
2: and I've always Katie. liked Dylan but I don't know and it was don't think twice it's alright like I put it on there to be like everything's alright and it did not feel alright <laughs> okay. in that moment so let's play that
0: oh my god Oh my, oh, my <laughs> oh my god! Oh hi baby! Hi baby! Hi! Oh, you're yeah. you oh did, so so, oh, so so did so good! So good! You did so good! Oh, you've a weird again. You know it's gonna. I know that's for a reason. You, know, you did so good.
1: Okay, and then did you? Catch your own baby? Did Byron or did the midwife or the doula or the what happened from that process? caught him? Like my okay. hands were
2: down, but she caught him. That would be a strange angle. Just, I don't think yeah. you could fully. Bring I mean, him. if you weren't on a stool, yeah. If yeah. I wasn't on a stool and I was really shaken by the strength, of like I could like fall off and sit on it, you know, like right. So they were right there with puppy pad and everything they needed. Um, grabbed him and immediately put him kind of on my abdomen, um, and then moved me up to or helped me move up to the bed, put him to my chest. Um, and then I delivered the placenta. Um, so that took about 10 minutes or so. It was really, really quick. Um, and I was getting kind of in my head about like, Oh my God, I have to push again. Are you kidding me? But it Mm -hmm. was like a nothing push after all of that. Um,
1: and was Noah breastfeeding at that point as well? I think he was just
2: on my chest kind of hanging out. Um, but hadn't quite started. He was doing his little crawl and, kind of having some little grunty noises and just clearing his lungs out a little bit more. Um, but I don't think he had actually started to latch by that point. Cause
1: sometimes that can support the placental yeah. delivery, yep. just like the, yep. again, how, how sometimes we'll get Pitocin
2: after. Exactly. And you ended up getting a little bit, right? I did, but not actually for the delivery of the placenta. Um, it was after that. Um, so the placenta was delivered. Um, and I don't I guess we had cut the cord already when this happened, but they were like, eh, you're just bleeding like a little high. And you did like a delayed and, cord clamp. Yeah, yeah. Five minutes or so. Yeah, we did five minutes and it was cool. They let me reach down feel and like it. feel it. And they're like, do you feel it pulsing? I'm like, yes, Whoa. that's what I want. That's, amazing um, nutrient delivery for my baby and just so cool and I mean the placenta like I looked at it looked like an alien it's so wild and and weird and amazing um, that that grows in your body um, and then Byron cut the cord after yeah about five minutes or so. Um, so then I had the pitocin and and I had him on me you Noah know, on me the whole time that they were cleaning me up. Um, so they told me I had a first degree tear, which, um, you know, is the best, I guess the best case scenario is no tear, but that's very uncommon for new mamas. Um, usually you'll have a a first degree at best tear. Um, so one, um, stitch in the perineal area and then both labia also were torn, um, so they did, I think, stitch on one side and not on the other. They said something about if we stitch both sides, they'll fuse together. And I was like, I don't think we want uh-uh. that. <laughs> um, I do remember that. And then um, they did give Pitocin for the bleeding, which I was totally okay with at that point. I mean, you know, baby wasn't getting any impact from that. Um, and I knew that my mother, she like loved to tell me <laughs> her birth stories and, and um, you know, how she had hemorrhage. and And I knew that had happened to her. So I was like, not that there's a genetic connection, but just knowing, you know, that risk, I felt totally fine with getting Pitocin at that point. I didn't even really notice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and did you ever end up getting it? Did you have the IV placed already? Nope, or that they, was, they, they placed never, it right uh, then? They just
2: did a, um, push a, into my thigh. Okay. So just intramuscular. an intramuscular yep. push. Yeah. Yep. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah, they had, there was a form I think as I was, um, you know, working with the midwives, um, kind of midway and, and, um, uh, signing up for the birthing center, they offered prophylactic so They would do it immediately. So they had it, you know, at the ready, um, and knew that I had declined prophylactic and I wanted them to kind of monitor the bleeding. And, um, I didn't end up having a hemorrhage per se per the classification. It was just high end of, of normal. So,
1: okay. So how long would we say that you were in Labor. How would you answer that question?
2: So I think I realized that <laughs> this question is not as clear cut as like when you hear someone is like, I was in labor for 72 hours or 36 hours or, or whatever. Um, it actually makes more sense to think in terms of, of stages, because if I went from the first sign of labor, you know, it was almost... 30 hours Mm -hmm. Um, if I went just from you know the time I was at the birthing center it was only you know three hours and change Um, so I was in early labor we'd call it um, from you know 12 a.m that first sign really um, Thursday. And then, you know, by 12 AM Friday was when things really picked up into that active and transitional labor. Um, so once you hit that six centimeters and that phase of going from six to 10, that's active labor. And and that was like 12 AM to 3 AM. Um, and then that second stage of labor is actually when you're pushing and baby is engaged in, the pelvis. Um, so that's your act 10 centimeters. Um, and that was from 3am to 539. So two hours and 39 minutes. I was telling people all kinds of things. I was like, I only pushed for like 45 minutes. And then Byron (laughs) was like, it was like four hours, babe. And so somewhere in the middle, um, you know, on the uh, kind of longer end of, of normal for first time mamas, but I've heard, you know, friends recently have pushed for four hours. So I'm grateful that it wasn't that. And then third stage is placenta delivery and like i said that was easy peasy 10 minutes
1: so let's just recap some of the tools to support your natural labor and some of the kind of food as medicine elements so you said that you did uh like quadruple intensity batch of the red raspberry leaf tea within that first 12 hour increment well and also actually the castor oil happened within that first Mm -hmm. 12 hours as well or 24 hours i suppose right or 12 hour 24 Four hour, from the 12 a.m. to 12, 12 a.m. window. 12, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was in the the red raspberry leaf tea, the more kind of intensive one that you made?
2: Um, so the concentrated one, I don't even think I got fancy. I was doing throughout um, a blend of, uh, basically it's one tablespoon of red raspberry leaf to one cup of of boiling water. Um and so I was making throughout like a big batch with red raspberry stinging nettle which is also supposed to help to tonify the uterus, um lemon balm and I think I was doing that mostly for fluid retention and flavor. Um and then um adding some mint leaf and that was like the nice fancy one non-labor version. Um, and then to kickstart labor, I was like, I don't need, you know, anything to flavor this. I don't need lemon or sweetener. Um, so I did a four to one, four tablespoons to one cup ratio. Um, and I made that a couple of times, like throughout that, probably from that, like, you know, 12 AM to 5 AM time stamp where I was just hanging out and baking and vomiting and all the things. <laughs> I'm sure that contributed in some way. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So we'll link that Labor Day tea, the four tablespoon to one cup ratio. And then, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the other foods. We talked about bromelain and pineapple. Mm Um, what's the mechanism of like capsaicin and spicy
2: foods? I don't know that there's, um, studies on necessarily mechanism, but I think it's more of like a a wives' tale and maybe just kind of cranking up. Yeah, The internal heat on all fronts. Um, But spicy food, I don't think I had intentionally eaten anything spicy again because I didn't know um, this was going to happen. But we did have Mexican like the night before. Um, (laughs) So who knows? Could have contributed. And were
1: you doing all the dates? I Mm -hmm. know we had talked about that past episode.
2: Um, Yeah. So I had been doing... It, my doula had recommended doing six dates a day, which I was like, oh my God, that's a lot. Um, just coming from, you know, a more keto space and, and, you know, being at least paleo and carb controlled throughout pregnancy, six dates a day felt like a lot. So I was probably doing more on the end of like two to three um, or I would at least space them out throughout the day, like do two with almond butter in the morning and two as a late afternoon snack or on a cheese plate. Uh, but there is some evidence, um, in late pregnancy of, of doing six dates a day. So from like week 32 on, on reducing length of labor, um, reducing the need for induction and dates actually help to increase oxytocin and aid in that cervical ripening. So that could have been part of why I was so effaced, right, Um, that things were soft and, like, ready to rock.
1: Yeah, and I know Lily Nichols has covered dates, you Mm -hmm. know, with her approaches with gestational diabetes, and her kind of balance is obviously if you're a gestational diabetic, it's not worth the dates. Right, (laughs) exactly. So Yeah, that small margin
2: of possibility, like
1: (laughs) – so I think it's just worth noting, you know, again, as always, with the intervention, you know, what does it do? What's the mechanism? And I think you could get a good balance of that. We had talked about, I think that I'm not sure if it was in your plan, but what I had done was the the GLA suppositories, um, starting at like 38 and a half weeks or something mm-hmm. like that, for that same mechanism. So I think that there's there's something to be said there too, as far as the cervical ripening and. Also, I think we've talked about, but maybe not, um, sperm. Um, so, so sex is a big thing, both, you know, the nipple stimulation, oxytocin component, and that's where a pump or nipple stimulation with your partner can be helpful, Um, But let's talk a little bit about how sex plays a role with the connection to helping support the birth
2: process. Yeah, Byron was super bummed that we never actually um, got to (laughs) this part of the plan, but supposedly sex three times in a 24 hour timestamp is the charm and the mechanism there is that um, semen is actually a natural source of prostaglandins um, so prostaglandins are also used um, in uh, if you've heard of mesoprostol or cytotech, um, used to encourage cervical ripening in preparation for labor so beyond the pitocin that's actually something else that's utilized Um, in you know induction in a conventional setting Um, so Sex three times contains as much as the dose of, of the cytotech that they would actually give you to induce labor. Um, and then secondarily, you know, sex plus or, or minus orgasm, the orgasm certainly helps to increase that love bonding oxytocin hormone. Um, but it's been found to increase that uterine activity. So you're getting, you know, some contraction of the uterus that could help to kickstart things. And then, you know, bonus points if you're doing nipple stimulation during the sex that you're having. So I'll link um, a blog from evidence-based birth on actually using sex for natural labor induction. But like I said, Byron was kind of bummed out that we didn't actually get to do it. Um, But once my membranes were ruptured, I knew that there was an increased risk of infection should anything penetrate vaginally. So after, you know, water breaks, um, you don't want to be inserting a tampon. You would obviously use, you know, a a pad or panty liner for, um, anything that's coming out. And you also don't want to insert anything. Um, so, you know, no sex uh, penetrative and also wouldn't want to be having a ton of, um, cervical exams either at that timestamp.
1: All right. So now that you are on the other side (laughs) Of the banks of the river. Yeah. Under the wave. Um, what are some words of wisdom going into delivery um, that you would share with other new mamas? Sure. So I think
2: first off, having your support person or your support team, if you're able, um, having a doula, I think was, was really huge. And I think that's you know, part of why I felt confident laboring for so long at home. Because if we had been going through that, um, Byron would have taken me to the birthing center hours and hours before, or we would have had a baby at home by accident or in the car. Like it would have been one or the other waiting too long or, or, you know, pulling the trigger too soon. Um, and I think also communicating with the people that are going to be at your birth. Um, so your partner and, and any other support people, how you like to be supported. Um, communicating with them like how you typically respond under stress. So that was one of my doula's first questions was like, how do you respond to pain or, or stress? And I was like, honestly, I, I like go very inward um, and internalize. And, you know, I probably get quiet and don't want to, you know, again, show vulnerability. Um, and then I'll also get a lot of like neck and back tension. So she was like, okay, like I'm going to, you know, do um, some massage and we'll do the tens unit. And also I'm going to ask you if you want me to get bossy and kind of draw you back out of yourself, which I think was really helpful. Um, And then the other conversation I had with her was like, I like to understand what's going on at all times. So I don't just want to be told, To push, I want to be told we can see the head, he's crowning. I want like the detailed version of everything so I can really understand what's going on because otherwise I'm in my head spinning out of like every which way things could go wrong. Um, And then the other thing I would say is just being okay with being completely raw and vulnerable. So this is like the most raw animalistic mammalian brain thing that you're ever going to do. So it could be pooping in the tub, not having pants on, making these like crazy guttural noises. Um, Again, that was a a big thing that I think may have like held me back a little bit, that I was afraid to do that. And there was a point where it was like, this is the point of no return. Um, And Byron and I are now at a next level where I'm like, I don't care if you see me do anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah, most
2: definitely, most definitely. And was there anything that surprised you about how
1: you thought, um, you know, you wanted to be spoken to or environmental things that you thought you would do or things that didn't work out (laughs) or just that were, you know, like you said, you didn't end up in a Zen space. Did you keep the lights dim? Yeah, they were. I did
2: actually advocate for that at some point okay. um and they had these lights off yeah, <laughs> turn off the lights um because the the birthing center was you know it was nice enough it was like a corporate feeling apartment hotel or hotel room of, yeah. yep um and they had actually some battery-powered candles which is something that i had brought in my like overstuffed suitcase that never got opened um you know i thought i was going to have these little tea light candles around and my essential oils going and I, like I said, had outfits to labor in. And I had bags of like lotions, potions, supplements that never got opened. Um, I did ask for CBD at one point because I was like going through my head on the pain management epidural talk with myself. And I was like, what do I have in my bag? Okay, can I take some CBD? And it's like, is that really going <laughs> to put a dent in in any pain at that point? But I did ask for it.
1: And had you talked about that with your birth team preemptively like what natural pain tools would be appropriate because it's interesting you know like we advise against turmeric during mm-hmm. pregnancy because it can drive uterine contractions um was that a conversation of like oh would you take two to five grams of turmeric would you ramp that up to thin the blood is, is that um inflammatory and en- like what about i know Welbenzyme is used right. through pregnancy and um you know proteolytic enzymes can mm-hmm. be used i'm curious on, they, they offered, what, nitrous oxide? Was that one of their
2: pain they tools? They did, but they weren't doing it because of COVID, actually. Oh, because um, so, you're inhaling yeah, it? Yeah, I guess. Really? Um, so it wasn't available. Um, so the TENS unit was really the only thing that I had at my disposal. And then um, I think I had planned on doing Inflamazime. Um, right for the proteolytic enzyme, plus turmeric. And right. I just, um, I had ordered it like from our website, we had some weird glitch and the bottle came literally like the next day. And you did use it postpartum. Uh, I did. I used it a ton postpartum. I was mm-hmm. taking six to nine a day for probably yeah. the first two weeks. And I would credit that with like a pretty speedy recovery and um, you know, not having a ton of pain. Like by day three, I saw in my records, I was saying my pain was at a level one out of 10. That's huge. Um, and that's uncommon. I think. Yeah. And
1: I use the inflammation mm-hmm. post part, postpartum C-section as well. Yeah. That's one that we use really like post-surgical procedure of any form, yeah. any trauma to the body, yep. because it helps with that tissue recovery and repair. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, the thing that's interesting with um, the nitrous oxide, I, I was controversial about whether or not I wanted to mm-hmm. use it in process, because I didn't know my NOS2 gene. And so, you know, for individuals that have issues with nitric oxide production, mm-hmm. then that could actually be more harmful than beneficial. Like Ben Lynch is very against using it. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of kind of dance with that. So maybe that was a good divine intervention.
2: Yeah, totally. And, and you know, things like that and even the turmeric conversation I probably would have had. <laughs> at, you know, a that appointment, appointment. Had you not and, been and I just wasn't in the space to even have it. Like I was like, get this baby out. I don't care how much it hurts. I don't care, you know, what I have to do to my body and didn't really tap in and think about, uh, those other tools. But I had super turmeric and, um, I had relax and regulate both in my bag as well. Cause I thought maybe the relax and regulate could help with, you know, cramping or at least help, uh, afterward. But there just wasn't time to process. (laughs) No, I did. I asked for turmeric and um, relax and regulate like maybe two hours after they were offering me um, Motrin and I was like, no, I don't need that. I have turmeric in my bag. Can someone get it? And they like wrote it on my chart that I declined. So we talked about oxytocin
1: and the process uh, that that plays with contraction and how nipple stimulation drives oxytocin. And we talked about oxytocin even in constructs of an anxiolytic hormone and so much. But as Becky is burping Noah right now after feeding him, <laughs> as you guys heard the little goose and ahs and things, he's he's active during this recording um, and future recordings. Don't worry, he'll be home with Uh, His dad, but for right now, let's talk a little bit about prolactin or the mothering hormone Which is really the major hormone for breastfeeding. So, you know prolactin starts to increase during pregnancy But it does peak at birth and the baby even produces prolactin in the womb as well It plays a role with that bonding attachment um, as we start to see in the early labor process already and we have seen prolactin levels playing a big role with fetal well-being um, as well as newborn transition. One of those things that you just really can't mimic with formula per se. And so we know that postpartum um, contractions can be supported both by that oxytocin and prolactin connection. So that's where that you know chest to chest transition and breastfeeding and bonding is really important. Um, But there is a physiological influence, even in the hours that follow the birth process, um, where we do see a huge impact of that prolactin hormone supporting both mom and baby in that start of that fourth trimester, if you will. Um, So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we talked about postpartum pain relief. So the super turmeric was, um, you know, taken at around four to six a day, and flamazine, you said, six to Mm -hmm. nine CBD oil that you
2: were using topically and orally. I had a topical cream that I would uh, kind of do all over, you know, the um, uterine area, um, and then I was also doing the Santa Cruz medicinals. Um, they're pretty potent one. Um, I think it's a thousand milligram bottles that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was taking that like three, four times a day in those early days. And then topical magnesium yeah. oil and Arnica cream as well. Yeah. And those are all things that I, again, thought I was going to like use during labor. I was like, don't worry, doula, I have all of those things because she was like, oh, I have them in my toolkit. And I was like, well, you know, I have Arnica cream that you can put on me while I'm in labor and I'll use magnesium oil topically to help with some of the cramping and i'm glad i had it for postpartum but it didn't happen
1: and let's talk about did you end up doing a sits bath at the birth Mm -hmm. center and tell a little bit about what that is
2: yeah so um they filled up an herbal bath um, at the birth center you know a few hours after once i was able to get up and be mobile and they realized I, you know, wouldn't faint on the floor and, and bleed out on them. And still hadn't um, eaten though, right? You still like full adrenaline? I think I had a bar like or something? half of a perfect bar and a few spoonfuls of yogurt. Okay, um, We had like the Yeti packed with... Uh, my doula even was like, bring a meal to heat up. So I brought like this sweet potato stew and I was like, get that away from me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not eating that. Um, and she was like, we can order burgers. I'm like, it's 6am. I'm not eating anything. Yeah. Um, I just ran a damn marathon and, yeah, uh, but yeah, I think I'd had like half a bar, a few spoonfuls of, um, that delicious mother culture yogurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ran the bath for me and, um, I'm not positive on like what was in the one at the birth center, but I know um, the baths that I had done subsequently at home um, had witch hazel leaf, yarrow roots, so kind of these astringent herbs to help with that healing process um, and, and reduce inflammation from all of the pushing and and kind of tissue damage, Um, some uva ursi leaf, um, which I thought was kind of cool in terms of like prevention of infection, Mm -hmm. Um, grapefruit, lavender essential oil. Um, I also had one that had calendula, which is really soothing and garlic, again, to help with infection prevention. Um, And I used both a sitz bath tea at home that I would make in a concentrate and use like a cup of in a bath. Um, and I also had this mother love sit spray. So if you don't want to be, you know, brewing your own tea or you just want kind of an easy button option on that, that was something a friend gave me at my shower and I was like, Oh, what is this weird stuff? And I used the whole bottle and bought another one.
1: And how about the, um, postpartum? Like how long did your body put output? What is it called?
2: just like lochia yeah, bleeding, yeah mm-hmm. um so yeah that's something nobody tells you either no, that you're gonna have i remember like, telling you about that uh, yeah nobody tells you unless all your friend um or you have you know very good girlfriends that you're intimate with and honestly i think part of it is women just don't like remember what happens to them um so i'm glad i'm putting this out now but you're going to have bleeding you know upwards of, of six weeks of what's considered lochia or called lochia Um, And basically, you want to think about this as if, you know, the place where the placenta was attached has detached, and it's created a wound that at one point was as large as that placenta, which is a substantial organ um, when it comes out. And then as your uterus kind of tones down and and shrinks back down, you know, to normal-ish size, the wound's going to shrink, but it's still there. Um, and so I had a lot of like clotty bleeding, um, and passed like a huge clot that I was like, Oh my God, am I dying? It's the size of, I think they tell you under a, a tennis ball yeah, is normal. But it like was like, golf ball. Yeah, it was big. Like it mm. shot out when they were, um, doing the fundal massage to get the uterus down to <laughs> normal size. It like shot out. And then, you know, for days afterward I'd have, you know, pretty, um, substantial clots but only golf ball size um and then the bleeding really tapered off so i i did i guess a modified version of what we call like laying in um, which we've talked about in uh, previous episodes in some cultures and including you know my mother-in-law was recommending literally 40 days of not leaving your bed and i'm like i can't do that Um, but uh, the doula recommended two weeks of staying really close to your bedroom so like the first, I think five days, you were allowed to be only in your bedroom to the bathroom and back. And then you were allowed to be near the bed. So you could be like folding laundry on the bed. Um, and then you're allowed to be just in your house, but not leaving the house. So other than appointments, I didn't like go for walks. I didn't do a whole heck of a lot. And I think that really um, helped the bleeding to slow down a lot faster. So after two weeks, like those first few days I, I bought depends cause I was like, I'm not messing around and I'm changing his diaper and my diaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, there was a lot of, of blood and fluid and just yuck. Um, I had puppy pads under me. Um, and then I transitioned to more like, you know, organic cotton, um, type pads. I was doing some like padsicles as well during that time using the, um, sits spray, um, and freezing them. Mm-hmm. And then, um, You know, those little sounds are (laughs) making this episode, hopefully. Um, And then um, I was able to transition to like panty liners by, I would say, week three. Um, So that bleeding is something that's often talked about. You want to watch that to kind of rein in your activity level. So if you notice bleeding has slowed down and then you go and, you know, go for a walk around the block or you push it with like just vacuuming or doing chores and bleeding picks up you probably are doing too much and you really want to you know let your bleeding dictate that activity level most definitely and
1: yeah i was shocked that even without a vaginal birth that you still get all that
2: happening oh, yeah and um, double I mean, bonus points you've got two surgical wounds, wounds basically or two wounds <laughs> well
1: and they do suck out a good yeah. i mean
2: because obviously they, they pull the placenta yeah. out with yeah.
1: that way and i guess that they do clean up a lot more right. because it's an open exposed space right. Um, but yeah, that was unbeknownst to me. Let's talk about the placenta as we bring this to a close and in a uh, placenta encapsulation. And, um, so first just kind of as the foundation background, uh, the placenta produces two primary steroidal hormones, which are estrogen and progesterone. And, um, you know, we've, Talked about the various forms and and, excuse me, the various functions of both of these hormones that are really important for women's health. But the progesterone through pregnancy supports the lining of the uterus, the healthy implantation of the egg. Um, It prevents, of course, the shedding of the lining, which is why when we look at the menstrual cycle, when progesterone drops, that's the onset of the menstrual cycle. Uh, So. Progesterone is going to suppress the uterine's um, wall's ability to contract or break down. Um, And that's why it plays an important role for preventing miscarriage and early onset of labor. Estrogen levels are going to rise towards the end of pregnancy. And the estrogen actually acts to stimulate the growth of the uterus to accommodate this growing fetus and allowing the uterus to contract by countering the effect of the progesterone. So it's gonna stimulate the growth and development also of the mammary glands for, for preg- during pregnancy to support for breastfeeding. And the placenta is going to release other protein hormones beyond the estrogen and progesterone. There's gonna be that HCG, which is what we think of in the early onsets of pregnancy and testing for a positive pregnancy test. Um, the human uh, gonadotropin hormone. Uh, there also is the placental lactogen, placental growth hormone, and relaxin and peptin um, all which play a role. Relaxin, um, we didn't really talk about in your third trimester no. episode, but that's the one that really allows the opening of the mm-hmm. hips and you have to watch out when you're taking yoga classes or moving too much because you have a lot of flexibility in yep. your connective tissue due to that relaxin, which helps to aid in the delivery process as you get towards that end stage. And um, kispeptin regulates the growth of into the lining of the mother's womb. So that endometrium, um, which is going to play a positive role in
2: the the long-term transition. Relax and also can make your feet uh, grow. Oh, that's (laughs) the connection there. I guess um, it's like the flattening of of the arch of your foot um, is what I've heard anyway. Um, I'm still hoping mine snap back, but otherwise poor Byron is going to be upset with how many shoes I have to replace.
1: (laughs) So let's talk about the use of placenta consumption and, um, you know, how you went about doing it.
2: Yeah. It's so wild that, you know, this organ or, or gland, um, you know, grows during pregnancy and then is basically discarded as kind of an accessory and it does so much. So I think the placenta deserves like all of the credit that's due it's a really um you know rich source of iron minerals and b vitamins similar to you know when we recommend eating organ meats so Mm -hmm. liver and kidney and things along those lines Um, but yeah, we did the um like i said the delayed cord clamping so you know just by doing that um noah got you know an extra boost of about a third of blood volume all of his nutrients stem cells and iron transfer best for brain development and oxygenation Um, and then i opted to encapsulate um, my placenta so um, this is something i haven't seen like a ton a ton of research, but just looking, you know, into some of the hormones that are at play during this time and and some of the things that the placenta is a rich source of, um, it would make sense that it would be very supportive postpartum. And most animals eat their placenta.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, some even pain management can be seen with placental consumption. So there's that placental opioid enhancing factor or POEF. Which stimulates the body's natural production of, um, you know, endorphins to reduce pain, and um, also opioids um, to aid in that well-being and bliss factor. There's going to be prolactin, which, again, supports the lactation process. There are the gonadotropins, including, as I mentioned, estrogen, progesterone, but also some testosterone. Um, So all of that aids in normalizing and stimulating libido, reducing depression, regulating mood, reducing anxiety with that anxiolytic progesterone in there. And then you do get that oxytocin interferon for the immune system support, which can be really helpful after you're kind of depleted and pooped out. And um, you do get that anti-inflammatory support of the prostaglandins in there. So um, I think that it's something to consider. And we've heard about, you know, different celebrities doing placenta smoothies (laughs) uh and all the various forms. So you had yours, your doula dehydrated it and then ground it and
2: encapsulated it? Or what was the process? Yeah, um, she... Did that and encapsulated it and also um made a tincture out of it. So there's there's two ways I know that you can encapsulate the placenta. One includes um like steaming it with a bunch of herbs and then dehydrating it, and the other I think is just not using the herbs and, and dehydrating it. Um so I think she did the the steaming method. Um and she also made a tincture, so basically taking like a small chunk of the placenta um, and just making a tincture with, you know, alcohol, uh, grain alcohol. Um, so the idea there is that that can last a much longer time. And she was like, Oh, you can use this like when you're going into menopause. Um, but I went through, I went through all of the pills. Um, and you know, I can't say if it was just placebo, if it was something else I was taking, cause I was also on all of our supplements, um, postpartum as well. Um, but I really didn't have any, even baby blues that people describe. Um, I had like two days of overwhelm. Um, and I think that tied with when my milk was coming in and that like huge hormone cascade that's going on, like prolactin is surging, estrogen and progesterone are like you're in menopause levels. Um, plus you have, you know, a a baby that, you know, after two days, baby kind of like wakes up because after delivery he was like really sleepy and we're like oh this is so easy um like almost too easy and then night three milk comes in I'm engorged I'm in the bathroom crying um other than like two episodes like that of just overwhelm, you know little sleep uh, deprivation um I felt really good mentally emotionally um really no postpartum depression to speak of Although that can come on anytime, just a little bit of, you know, anxiety, but no baby blues and energy wise, I feel really good too. So I think it did something for sure.
1: And and probably (laughs) like you said, all the pro vigilance that you were doing, maintaining the relax and regulate throughout Mm -hmm. the process with the myo inositol as hormone management and mood support, the high dose omega threes with the EPA DHA, which can be such a natural antidepressant vitamin D supplementation, the B complex added on top of the avail mama. Um, and, and yeah, I think that, um, the, the whole breastfeeding process is a whole nother beast that a lot of, um, you know, moms don't necessarily maybe give credit to the amount of pain and frustration and, um, feeling of helplessness, I think as a new mama, Mm -hmm. and that can be its whole other beast, which we'll cover in a breastfeeding episode for you guys.
2: Totally will.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a lot there. So any last minute um, like words of advice? Oh, let's talk about some of the foods actually real quick. Yeah. Um, So I know that right when you went into labor, I made you um, gelatin and a couple batches that we dropped off. Um, Once you were home, you did have a burger as your first meal, right? I did. That was a burger as my (laughs) first meal
2: Um, on the way home, and then you guys brought me one the next day too. I think. Yeah. Did Thai food like the night he was born because I'm like we're not cooking anything where you're both so exhausted. Um, but yeah, the, the gelatin was total game changer because I was like not getting up to do anything myself. And Byron is a great cook. Um, he's not great at measuring things. So I felt like if he made me gelatin, it would be either liquid or inedible (laughs) (laughs) rubber. Um, so I totally trusted your process on that. And I mean, like I said, I, I rebounded and recovered really well. Stitches healed really quickly and not a ton of pain from any of that tearing at all Um, so i feel like that really helped in in the process of snapping back or starting to Um, and then we did a lot of bone broth um, that i had been making and storing over the summer in preparation so byron made me this seaweed and beef soup that is kind of a traditional um, i couldn't tell you the name but traditional korean after birth soup his mom actually texted him Step by step, kind of play by play photos of every little I thing it. to do, um, and it was delicious and amazing. And he would give me a big bowl of that, like um, you know, two times a day at least. Um, so for two weeks, I really relied on him to do the majority of the cooking, and then there were obviously things I had frozen. Um, I was still drinking red raspberry red raspberry leaf tea, excuse me, um, and I did it um, with goji berry infused and, and, um, some Chinese, um, dates as well, um, to aid in uterine contraction. And I had some nettle and fennel leaf in there. Um, so basically a lot of liquids, like I was more thirsty than I've ever been in my entire life. Both. I think the process of milk coming in, making breast milk. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just the dehydration from my (laughs) labor and delivery you know situation Mm -hmm. um and then once I started cooking and and getting a little more you know venturing out into the world um I did the simple bolognese a couple times with the organ blend from yonder way um oysters were a big highlight at like week I guess, um, cause it was our anniversary. I'd been looking forward to that, like all pregnancy. Um, so I ate a dozen oysters myself or, you know, iron and zinc <laughs> and B vitamins. I'm like, this is a vitamin. Cookie Yep. <laughs> Always. Um, and then I had, um, lactation cookies on hand that we talked about in prior episodes. I also made, um, an oatmeal chocolate chip pumpkin version of those that I'll have to blog once I'm back on it. Um, and I also made our keto pumpkin bread. So I would have a baked good on rotation just to have something calorie dense that I could grab or have fire on your nightstand at all the times. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I had a, a basket. Um, I put everything in like these little baskets that I bought for Noah's room. Like one had my supplements, one had my breastfeeding accessories. Um, and then one was just snacks of like who kitchen chocolate and F bombs and all of the things. Um, just so I had something within reach. Yes. Love it. And I think that's the biggest thing is
1: calorie density, nutrient yeah. density, nutrients yep. in, nutrients out yep. <laughs> and, and really getting back on it. And I think it's funny, um, such a different experience, uh, again, because Stella with a C-section came out into the world, fully charged with no mm-hmm. fatigue, like a bat out of hell, like, ah, <laughs> you know, um, cause when we were telling you guys like, oh, be ready for the first 48 hours. And I was like, oh, I'll come be your night nurse and I'll come sleep there. And then we got there, I think within like 48 hours and we were like, oh, They're still in Mm -hmm. the the after birth bliss where
2: his body's so tired from the birthing process. And then I think night three was comparable to our night one. Yeah, And I was still riding high on adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Like I got out of bed, sat in a real chair and drank a frozen margarita with you guys. And then the next day I'm like, I did too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: Very uh, different experiences, but both end in such a beautiful way uh we will be sure to post becky's postpartum and um you know postpartum birth uh recovery and we'll probably do a postpartum protocol on the mm-hmm. allie miller rd website oh, yeah. um i know it's past due and i recommend always to new mamas out there some of the things we've discussed so we'll incorporate all that in there and you know as far as labs just to kind of close thing out, things out postpartum You know, you can look at thyroid at, you know, at six weeks, you might do a blood checkup. I never had even a, I didn't have a CBC. I didn't have a comp or anything um, until a year out. Oh no, at three to six months, I did have my thyroid checked. It was a little funky. Active breastfeeding Mm -hmm. can totally create a, a variance in your TSH as well as your free T3. So again, before you consider medicating just you know think through how you can support your body naturally. Um, and this is where you could bring in the thyroid optimizer postpartum but not during pregnancy. Sure. And then, you know, really at like the six months out or one year out is where you'd want to start to look at like your micronutrient status. And then maybe once your menstrual cycles come back and, you know, you're towards the tail end of weaning or, you know, breastfeeding is more secondary at that year mark or whatnot. Um, that's when you might look at like a neurohormone panel to really see the aftermath of where progesterone and estrogens at. And I know me personally being someone that was on bioidentical progesterone for a year plus leading into the pregnancy and then for that whole first trimester that that was the big one that i was like okay when can i bring my progesterone back because i felt like progesterone is such a getting my brain online hormone Mm -hmm. and i already had the mom brain and i was going back to working my clinic and i had the stress impact of you know running a business and all the things um but i do know that bioidentical progesterone is safe in fact you know it's the only form of hormonal birth control allowed when breastfeeding um so that would be something that you'd maybe run your progesterone levels earlier if desired to check in on them. Um uh, but otherwise you just got to let the the water run its course and let your body recalibrate and you know you're in this synergistic relationship with baby just on the outside world of um you know supporting the growth and development and the needs and it's a, a back and forth um synergy that's such a beautiful relationship. So I hope y'all have enjoyed today's episode. Any last um, new mama tidbits of advice, Becky, that you want to give to mamas that are like, uh, or women that are like, wait, I thought I wanted to do natural birth and this sounds really crazy.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was so freaking worth it. And I mean, I'm so grateful and, and feel very fortunate that things really went, you know, according to plan. Sometimes they don't. And I think you need to be ready for that and roll with that. Um, But it's so rewarding. And, you know, no matter how long labor seems, you're not going to be in it forever. And no matter how long the contractions seem like they, you know, come and go. Um, And it's totally worth it when you get to meet your sweet little babe. So, you know, just... Be in it and let it be what it is. It's not supposed to look any particular way. Um, do as much to prepare and then, you know, plan for the unexpected and, and allow yourself to be vulnerable and open and supported.
0: Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and Food is Medicine meal plans. Connect with Ali and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.